Did you know Oregon's 5,000 manufacturing businesses provide nearly 200,000 family wage jobs and produce $47 billion worth of proud Northwest products? I'm your host, Shane Steinke. Join me on the Manufacturing Matters Oregon podcast as we take you inside Oregon's robust manufacturing industry. We're talking to innovative manufacturers making extraordinary products every day. From smart factory technologies to workforce and lean manufacturing, we're also sharing real-life stories, strategies, and tips that will help your manufacturing business succeed. This podcast is a collaborative effort designed to advance Oregon's $1.2 trillion manufacturing industry. Let's honor the spirit of Oregon's pioneering past and pave the way for our innovative future. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Out of the roughly 6,000 companies in Oregon, more than half have less than 100 employees. Yet, when many people think of manufacturing, they picture larger businesses like Nike or Intel. At OMEP, we hear from manufacturers who are seeking innovative ways to improve efficiencies and enhance their workforce. Many see technology as a potential tool to achieve these goals, but feel they must be at the same level as a Nike or Intel to be able to afford smart factory technologies. They think that they need a team of engineers or a dedicated staff to deploy robotics or automation or augmented reality. The good news is that's not the case. We found that smart adoption of technology for business of all sizes happens as a methodical process. Start small and iterate on what's been done. Let's hear from a manufacturer who has found a creative use for technology in their business. Julie and Henry Mosier are a mother-son duo running Food for the Soul, a food manufacturer based in Bend, Oregon. So I'm Julie Mosier. I'm 55. I've been in Bend for about 25 years. I grew up camping and backpacking with my parents, although I think they would tell you that I was a lousy backpacker in that my backpack always had licorice books and a sleeping bag and I couldn't read on the trail. And so I was apparently complaining most of the time. When I, I decided to go backpacking about seven or eight years ago and try it out, and I took a solo trip, probably borrowing all of my equipment from Henry. I don't remember anymore. And uh, I had a wonderful time. I took my dog and myself and we went up, we live in um, Bend, Oregon. I went up to the Central Cascades and it was an amazing experience, except for the food. And having grown up and married into foodie families, food has always been an incredibly significant part of my life. And I was pretty disappointed with the experience. So I started making my own backpacking food, um, learned how to dehydrate. And that hobby grew into something fairly significant. And over a period of four or five years, it was really apparent that I was making something that wasn't that didn't exist on the market. So with the support and encouragement of family and friends and Henry in particular, I decided to launch a business. I love the, um, the origin story of all that, because quite frankly, the, uh, the description that you gave sounds like a kid backpacking. It doesn't sound like anything more than, you know, parents having to deal with kids. Right. But, you know, it, it, it's funny because I think a lot of a lot of our manufacturers have something similar in their background, or I think it will, will relate to the fact that, you know, it all kind of started with a baby bird imprint someplace, somewhere way back. And somehow we, we construct a narrative around that that's way more fond often than our parents would remember the story, but that matters less than how we tell the story to ourselves. <laughs> so Henry, tell me um, a little bit about your role in the company, but maybe more importantly, how it is that you um, provided some of that inspiration to your mother to, 
to start this company? So I'm, I'm Henry. I'm 29 years old and have lived and been the same amount of time as my mom. Go figure. My role in the company right now really exists within the sort of sales and, and marketing and a lot of the, the sort of the, the backend management behind the website and just generally trying to push our product out into the world um, as, as best as we can. And the ways in which that I may have influenced my mother to to take this, you know, this big step in life. I, I don't know that I can pull on any one particular thing. I think a lot of it just comes down to being a couple people that are, are, are maybe less risk averse. I think both of us share that trait in some ways that we both are, are, are willing to, to take some risks and, and, and move forward. And maybe we encourage each other a lot in that, you know, I'm curious, you know, what, what dynamics are involved when, um, when you find yourself working with a family member? You end up with a multi-layered relationship. And I, I think that any parent can understand that you never truly stop being a parent. It doesn't matter if your son, your child is an adult and fully capable of making decisions and living their own life and doing it well. You don't stop. You don't lose those parental feelings. And so I think one of the challenges for Henry and I when we started one of the challenges for me in particular was to set that aspect of our relationship aside. And it probably took about a year and a half. And Henry, because he's very direct and not afraid to you know, confront an issue, um, would tell me when I was <laughs> stepping over those boundaries. But I think that that constant communication of how we were relating to each other and where I was stepping outside of my lane really helped improve our relationship and helped foster a better understanding of how to communicate with each other. And we, uh, as Henry mentioned, you know, we have, we, our strengths really complement each other and we're, we're very aware of that, but we also have some very similar traits. Um, and that may be where we butt heads occasionally, but where I think we are very good at addressing it in, in the now and not letting things fester and learning how to keep sort of those different channels or different aspects of our relationship separate. And when business gets intense, maybe we spend less time outside of business together and give, you know, give each other a break. But that communication is absolutely critical. So I'm curious, you know, you mentioned having to sort of relearn or at least place boundaries on kind of the roles that each of you play both in the company and outside of the company. I'm, I'm curious if if you found that once you sort of clicked and found that that sort of seam that worked for both of you, if that had um, if that had benefit outside of the business and in your personal life, because you kind of understood a little bit more about uh, about how you communicate and what your what your needs are. You know, you mentioned the the parent child relationship, but now you're seeing it, you know, kind of from a peer level. And I was curious if that has affected the way you guys see each other, you know, in your personal life? I think that it's very interesting within a small business, you know, we clearly spend a lot of time together, but we, we do spend time outside of work together. Generally speaking, we enjoy each other's company very much. And I believe that our relationship is far stronger than it was five years ago, but we are cognizant of those layers. And, um, I think for me, What's changed for me is the amount of respect I have for Henry. I always had respect for him. He's done a lot of, a lot of different things in, in a 
relatively short period of time in his life. And, um, but my respect grows as I watch his skill sets grow, develop. And that's, you know, in terms of the business relationship, that's where my base is. We also want to talk a little bit on this, on this episode of, about automation and some of those things that are available to, to small businesses, even the very, very small businesses. And so um, I'd like to turn now to um, a question relating to, you know, your adoption of technology. And I'm wondering if you would start off with describing the problem that you were trying to solve um, for which you later found a, a technical solution. With the the whole like cooking and the, and then subsequently dehydrating food, it's, it's a multi-step process, but that, that dehydration is really a crucial component to what we do, you know, backpacking foods dried up to the point where there's no moisture, then you can rehydrate meat again later. At the scale of business that we started at and we are continuing to operate at, the dehydrators that are within our use are not necessarily up to a performance standard that we would like to see. As a result of that, we would often have batches of food spoil by effectively dehydrators turning off in the middle of the night, or we would see simultaneously wet and hot spots, like burnt spots on the food um, throughout the night. There, there were just like a lot of a lot of different ways that a lot of batches of food can can be ruined. And to give a, a rough average, a losing a single dryer worth of food can be uh, in the range of three hundred dollars lost. And, you know, when you're operating five, six, seven, eight dryers every night, the 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 risk gets really high if you have an unreliable machine. It's 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 rather stressful, and and every dollar really counts. So, yeah, it's, that was. It was, a, it was a pain point. And so this is a um, a cooking process that you're not there full time to monitor. So these are these dehydrators are running through the night when when no one is there. And so you just you have no way of really keeping tabs on it until you show up the next morning and kind of flip a coin to find out whether or not things worked out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. Short of a hunch. <laughs> uh, happen, happening to stay late. Uh, yeah, that was absolutely the case. We would come in the next morning and it would, just, it would always be a surprise. And so, um, can you describe the technology that um, that you brought to bear that is helping you solve this problem? Through working with with OMEP, we've been introduced to a technology called Internet of Things (IoT). And so, what this Internet of Things does is it has a a series of boxes that we place on the dehydrators, and these boxes have sensors attached to them. These sensors are placed inside of our dehydrators, currently only to measure temperature. And then that data is transmitted uh, real time to a box, a transceiver box that submits it to a web page that we have the ability to access from our computers, from our phones, to send text message alerts to us at any hour of the day to notify us when things are going uh, array. Things like the dehydrators turning off or running too cold or running too hot are now something that we can manage and keep an eye on at, at any time. This in the beginning was rather stressful because we started to see all the crazy levels of fluctuation in the dehydrators that we weren't expecting. You know, in our heads, we had this idea that these dehydrators were running at a relatively stable temperature throughout the night. When in reality, the way these dehydrators work is they'll power cycle on, they'll heat up to well over 20 degrees above what our set temperature is. 
the power cycle off, at least, you know, the, the heater element and the, the temperature would drop sometimes 20 degrees below our set temperature. And we would just see these massive spikes and drops and spikes and drops. And without really understanding like what the technology of our dehydrators was, this caused us a fair bit of concern. And there was a lot of time spent um, in the middle of the night, you know, um, coming in and like observing and, and tweaking and adjusting the alarm parameters. And then in addition to that, it would also tell us when we'd have a complete power failure. So that even though it means waking up at three in the morning, if you have to wake up at three in the morning to save $300 of product, that's, that's well worth doing. You know, that's, that, that's a no brainer. It, it, it was a couple months, I think of us doing this. And granted, one thing we have uh, recognized is that the, the, t- the time, the time period in which we were responding most to our dehydrators having uh, failures or issues was during the hottest months of the year. And as we know, June uh, and July were, were kind of record breaking. You know, we had some 104 degree days and we assume there's an, a, a correlation between time of year, ambient temperature and our dehydrators. But now this is something that we have data. You know, we, we can we can go back, we can look at what the ambient temperature was outside versus our dehydrators, and we can we can draw analogies. Maybe we decrease our temperature on dehydration during those periods of times to respond accordingly. You know, there's a lot of ways that we can interact with this data to hopefully improve our our, our rate of uh, of dehydration, like you know, ninety percent, one hundred percent of our trays dehydrating, or whatever it may be, to to get better yield out of our products, out of our uh, dehydrators. What I heard in there are a couple of different things that, you know, number one was that, um, you know, access to a little bit of information almost created a little bit of a of a challenge because you you didn't have the information before, and so you had a certain operating assumption about how things were were working which kind of proved to be false since you had a, a, certainly a bit of a learning curve. But once you started to get and understand the data and what it was telling you, it, it, although it didn't, it wasn't a single silver bullet, it certainly helped narrow the range of options for your problem solving to, uh, to help you kind of eliminate some of those things a little bit easier. You know, it's interesting that you, know, you would like to think that uh, maybe this is just a one shot, turn the switch on and everything works, but this is seems to fit kind of in the in the construct of continuous improvement still which is there's little little tweaks knock off the edges refine the process and kind of get it dialed in um and now you you know hopefully you've been able to to see some benefit from that i'm curious um what apprehensions may, did you have um before considering going through with something like this was there was there a point where you're like i'm not sure if this is for us or um or anything like that never <laughs> early adopters when, when the idea was introduced to us we were so impatient to get it started there was never a hesitation because i think we we knew that we didn't know things we just didn't know what it was and we we desperately needed more information henry henry pointed out that one of the other things that we we did during this period is adjust circulation in our space you know, we have hoods from the oven and so forth. We have circulating fans. We added fans. So we increased circulation. And I, I think that has also contributed to more success. But in terms of the technology, we couldn't wait to have it installed. No hesitations, none, and no remorse either. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so I'm curious, um, you know, as you, um, as you implemented using this technology, we're 
Were there any other things that kind of surprised you in the process? Things that were either pleasant or unexpected surprises that maybe either opened your eyes to possibility for for future use or or installations or um, or maybe benefits that you didn't expect to see that sort of cropped up as you started kind of digging through what was what you could uncover with the data? I think that kind of working backwards on this question, the, the, the benefits will continue to reveal themselves. It really is a matter of keeping an open mind to data and, and, and trying to be um, as analytical and like sort of even outside of the box about the way that you see this data. We have started recording which trays are burning, which trays are wet and, you know, either opting not to use them or adjusting the temperatures of certain meals that we, we cook. You know, we have uh, nine meals in our lineup. I think we dehydrate seven of them now. Um, so, you know, understanding from this data, like which meals operate best at which temperatures, it's just a, it's a continuous stream of information. And it's just a matter of how much you're willing to adapt with it. What I was curious, and maybe you, you partially answered this already, you know, you ad- adopt a new technology or a new way of doing things um, with certain expectations. And then as you, as you get into it, you realize there are things that you didn't initially appreciate that, that re- as you say, kind of reveal themselves and, and make it apparent that this is, is maybe in some ways better or or more unexpected or takes things in a different direction you, you didn't expect. And I'm just curious if, you know, we, there, we didn't have a whole lot of test cases for this to, um, to describe to you. And so what that difference looked like between maybe what you were expecting and, and what you uncovered in employing the IOT. Yeah. Um, they're, 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 they're relatively one and the same, you know, we knew we wanted to measure heat. We also would love to measure humidity. Um, that's proving to be a slight challenge for us just based on parameters of, of the thermometer, the unit that measures humidity and the size of it versus the size of our uh, available space and dehydrators. Um, it's, it's a future problem to fix or to, 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 to dive into. And that will unleash a whole new set of data. You know, how, how little time can we dehydrate meals and how much electricity can we save? But, you know, our, our expectations lined up pretty well with, with what this technology provided and very much to a satisfactory level. Like we, we wanted to know why we were losing food and now we can tell when we do. Uh, we've actually decreased the amount of food we've been losing, I think, through these mo- modifications to what we're setting our temperature at to this, this data is allowing us to continuously adapt. So it is providing very much what we were hoping for. Julie, yeah. And I haven't had to come in here in the middle of the night in like three months. That's awesome. <laughs> well, that sounds like a win. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, what would you guys say um, to companies who... Uh, are perhaps on the fence about adopting advanced manufacturing technologies in their business. I think that that Henry said you have to keep an open mind and ex- you know allow the information that's coming in to to help educate you. And I think that you know as I as I mentioned, we were so excited about this because we could tell even from the description that it was going to be a clear benefit. But even so, we knew we had a problem that needed to be fixed. And we did not have a solution at our hands. And so if technology provides a solution to a known problem or can provide a solution to a known problem, that's a win. Um, And I think it's worth exploring. Now, I I also think that 
small business owners tend to be versatile, resilient people who are solution-oriented. And I think that that should apply to technology as well. I want to end with something a little bit non-standard. I mean, you guys uh, are in Bend. So, um, so Julie, what's your favorite trail? You want me to give up that information? <laughs> my, my favorite trail is what I can, it's akin to comfort food. It's the Six Likes Trail. And it's, you don't have to give us directions. I won't. <laughs> Henry, what about you? I am not so much of a hiker these days. So I'm going to throw out my favorite mountain biking trail in town. Uh, and that trail is called South Fork. It is still open to hikers, but mountain bikers move pretty fast on it. So uh, hikers beware, sad to say. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very rowdy and very fun. Well, um, thank you both very much. It's been a pleasure. And um, and don't worry, we don't have millions of followers. So your trails are both still safe, <laughs> especially in the shoulder season. Thank you for having us on. Thanks to Julie and Henry for sharing their stories. And now for our Manufacturing Minute. I'll share a few quick myth busters about technology. Myth one, sensors are the only type of technology that are accessible for small manufacturers. The truth is, sensors are only one type of IoT device. Manufacturers of all sizes can take advantage of many types of advanced manufacturing technologies and do so affordably. Some of these tools include augmented or virtual reality, cobots, ERP systems, intelligence systems, and data visualization tools. Price points continue to decrease, and when applied to the right process at the right time, these tools can be a real game changer. Myth two, technology and automation are making workforce problems worse. The truth is technology can help manufacturers of all sizes to make processes more efficient, increase product and training quality, and improve organization-wide visibility of KPIs. When you use technology to perform repetitive or dangerous tasks, manufacturers free up workers for greater company contribution. For example, many manufacturers are struggling to capture knowledge from retiring workers. Before they leave, utilize AR or VR to capture their institutional knowledge and train new employees. Myth three, the right technology will solve all of your business problems. In truth, successful adoption of new technology is largely a function of choosing the right solution and the philosophy of the operation using it. Technology as a standalone does not solve a problem. It's only a tool that can be utilized at the right time in the right process. The right tool in the right employee's hands acts as a multiplier. People will always be the key to a successful manufacturing business. Thanks for joining us this time on the Manufacturing Matters Oregon podcast. I look forward to talking with you next time.